Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. This is our 90-minute broadcast where we talk to our broadcast partners around the world. There are six of them. We'll make contact with them, finding out details behind the headlines from their particular regions of the world, and then look at see how these headlines, these reports, are actually fitting into the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Now, that's the introduction to the program. Let me say, Happy Birthday, America! Yes, the 244th birthday of the United States of America. It's key in our world today, and it's so great to be able to celebrate. Hope you're putting your mask on, doing that social distancing. But thank you for the 90 minutes. If you can give it to us, we'll give you the world. Keep the dial set right where it is. I'm here in temporary studios in Peoria, Illinois, uh, WPEO country, Bob Ulrich and all the gang over at WPEO radio, they've carried our broadcast from the very outset. In fact, it was Bob who suggested that I do this hour and a half broadcast. He gave me the opportunity, and from there, our network has expanded over radio stations that uh, you can hear one of our broadcasts. We have a number of them available for you. Well, I talked about our broadcast partners. We've got other business out of the way. And I'll tell you about El Vista Baptist. That's where we're going to be speaking Sunday and Monday and Tuesday in the next segment with David Dolan. But I want to go right now to Ken Timmerman. He's located there in southern France. Ken, I know that your book is to come out in August. It's a book dealing with the next election. And I know you're doing some pre-selling of the book right now. How is it going? Is everything set ready to go? Well, it's going pretty well. I appreciate you for mentioning the book. It's called The Election Heist, and it's the story of how a political party could steal the 2020 election through computer hacking. And I've been looking, taking a very close look at our election security, how the computers, the tabulators, the voting machines actually work, and what the vulnerabilities are. And I've consulted a lot of experts in forming the plot of this story. It is a fiction. It's a plot but it's to help you imagine uh, what could happen in 2020 and also to help you to interpret events as they unfold on election night so you can determine for yourself, you can see for yourself, whether you think it was a free and fair election or whether you think it was stolen one way or another. Sounds like a good read to me. Go buy the book or pre-purchase the book, if you will, so that they'll know there at the publishing company actually how many books they should print. I'm excited about your book coming out, Ken. Looking forward to reading it myself. Well, let me get to our business at hand. Looks like Iran and Turkey are collaborating. They're uniting to wage war against Israel, according to Middle Eastern experts. What do we know? Well, Jimmy, I think this has been really the underlying plot all along between the Turkey-Iranian cooperation. Sometimes they are at odds with each other. But more generally, they do cooperate together, and they have common goals, at least for now. And those goals include stepping up pressure on Israel, preventing uh, Israel from exerting its sovereignty over Judea and Samaria uh, and the areas, uh, especially along the border with Jordan. And uh, the second goal is to weaken the Kurdish groups who are seeking 
seeking some form of autonomy both from Iran and from Turkey. So they're working together in those two areas. They have points of friction. You know, we've talked about this on air, in particular in Syria. But I have long believed, because I've seen this on the ground in northern Iraq, where Turkey and Iran work together against the Kurds, I have long believed that their common goals are more important than their tactical differences, and that ultimately they will work together uh, in an alliance against the state of Israel. Alliance, that's a key word because the Bible talks about that alignment of nations. Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, Daniel chapter 11. More on that when I take a look at the book in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Well, it's very interesting to me, Ken, that Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, is warning that Iran is the world's worst terrorist regime, and uh, he's warning everybody we'd better be paying attention to that. Now, I would agree with that, would you not? Uh, Well, certainly I would agree with that, and I think that anybody really in Washington or any European capital who is serious and who is not being politically correct would agree with that as well. You have people in Europe, the leaders in Europe, who are trying to rehabilitate Iran, but they're doing so for one purpose only, that's to make money for companies in their country. The Germans are doing this. The French have tried to rehabilitate Iran repeatedly. They tried to press President Trump to uh, open negotiations. President Macron, the French president, we call Little Cookie here, has offered to President Trump, we learned this from John Bolton's memoir, offered uh, President Trump to be his intermediary with the Iranian leaders. And Bolton cites that and other instances of Trump's willingness to talk to Iranian leaders as a reason for him to leave the administration. The Iranians have not changed their stripes. Uh, The 2015 nuclear agreement negotiated by John Kerry and Obama did not temper their behavior. It did not bring them into the fold of uh, normal nations of the world. They continued to support terrorist groups, and they do today. And I think Mike Pompeo has got this uh, just exactly right. They are the world's greatest, most powerful, and most dangerous sponsor of international terrorism, and will remain so uh, in the near future. Ken, you brought up the name John Bolton. I know that he is a good friend of yours, and he was interviewed in Israel made a statement that a second Trump term would be dangerous for the Jewish state. Can you give us some more insight? Well, yeah, I mean, I've read, I read John's memoir, and, and I've got to tell you, uh, I'm a little bit disappointed in one way. I think John Bolton's big problem with President Trump is that President Trump was president and John Bolton was not. And he thought that he knew better than the president. And when the president did not go along with everything that he wanted to do, uh, Bolton did not try to change the policy or present policy options to the president. He just said, well, you know, this is wrong and I'm leaving and I'm going to denounce it. So Bolton is now out on the speaking circuit. He's trying to uh, sell his books, which is understandable. The government, the attorney general, has said they may prosecute Bolton for violating his non-disclosure agreement as a member of the administration, where he pledged to uh, the government that he would not disclose internal deliberations. And his book is full of internal deliberations of the administration. And that's where he gets this accusation he makes that Trump wants to talk to Iranian leaders. And I'm, I'm sure that it's true. I don't doubt it. But I don't think it's a danger for the state of Israel because the president, President Trump, has his values straight. And he understands 
that Israel is threatened by Iran, that Iran wants to annihilate the state of Israel, but he believes that by talking to them, he just might be able to change their opinions. I don't think that's so. John Bolton certainly doesn't think that's so. And I suspect that if ever, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if ever there were some kind of direct talk talks between the United States and the Iranian government, President Trump would come away with them the same way that he's come away with his talks with North Korea's uh, Kim, understanding that you know, nothing's really going to change the spots on this tiger. I want to talk to you about Russian President Vladimir Putin, quite interestingly. This week, I do believe, he got the right to be able to rule as the leader of Russia to 2036. And at the same time, we're getting information that Russia is eyeing the Mediterranean, the entire body of water out there that basically is on the shores of the European Union and the Middle East as well. What do we know? Well, again, the Russians played the long game. We tend not to do that. The Chinese also play the long game. So Putin has been working very carefully since he first came to power in 1999-2000 to stay in power, number one, and to rebuild Russia's military and to uh, reassert Russia's interests, first in the near abroad, in places like the Ukraine, when he seized Crimea and went into the Donbass, which is the, the Russian part of eastern Ukraine, and also Georgia and, and other places in eastern Europe. So now he's in the Mediterranean. He's got bases in Syria. He has a $500 million base improvement program in the Mediterranean. He's able to base warships in the Mediterranean for the first time since the Cold War. He's also in Libya. Uh, sending fighter jets to Libya, unmarked fighter jets. Very interesting detail, that, that they do not bear Russian government markings. So there may be a, some wiggle room whether uh, Putin is really ready to assert himself if challenged. And this is the important thing. When we have challenged Putin in Syria, there was an incident a couple of years ago where Russian mercenaries working for the Wagner Group, which is a, uh, a private military contractor, when they confronted U.S. troops on the ground in eastern Syria, we creamed them. We really cleaned their clock, and there were, some reports say, as many as 200 people were killed. 200 former Russian Special Forces troops uh, were killed in that confrontation with the Americans. I think Putin wants to avoid that, so he tiptoes into this using these military contractors, uh, such as the Wagner Group. But yes, he wants to have bases in the military. Yes, he wants to begin reasserting Russia's external primacy, their power. He wants to throw his weight around in the world, but he's limited by a couple of things, Jimmy, and the most important of those is his economy. Russia is not an economic superpower, and they're not about to become one, and that's going to limit his ability to expand his power around the world. However, when you look at Ezekiel 38, Russia is going to be a major player in the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word. And that's why we go to Ken Timmerman. He's on top of these geopolitical stories for us here on Prophecy Today. Ken, thank you so very much. We're hoping and praying that you're going to have good book sales, but uh, we'll find out more maybe when we talk next week, and we'll find out more about the activities happening in this world, seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Thank you, Ken. Talk again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. My pleasure, and happy Fourth of July. God bless. Thank you, sir. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here 
on Prophecy Today. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. I want to remind you that I do have a website. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section. It's on the home page on the left-hand column if you scroll down. And then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Here in Temporary Studios in Peoria, Illinois, that's the hometown of WPEO Radio. This is the original station for our hour-and-a-half broadcast, Bob Ulrich, while on a tour with us in Israel and the Middle East, he asked me if I'd like to do an hour-and-a-half program. That's how we got this program started. So a shout-out to Bob Ulrich and the WPEO broadcast team. So glad to be able to be here. We're going to be at the El Vista Baptist Church here in Peoria. We'll be there all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, July 5, 6, and 7. Joy Watt is the pastor inviting everybody to come and join us, and we'll be watching very carefully that we do what we're supposed to do because of this coronavirus pandemic. Let's get to Dave right now. I promised a Middle East news update. David Dolan, the man who's doing that for us, and David... It looks like the reports are coming out of Israel, and uh, Vigdor Lieberman, who was the former defense minister, making the statement that Israel is on the brink of war with Iran and Hezbollah. What do we know? Well, Jimmy, increasing signs that that may indeed be the case, as we've been uh, detailing really for the past few months, but we've had more movements of Hezbollah in Syria, reports of that. We've had this week uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad saying they would work together against Israel, especially if there is any annexation. And, of course, most importantly, we've had now three incidents, they're calling them, in Iran, the latest being on Thursday at the Natanz nuclear plant where they enrich uranium. And a Kuwaiti newspaper is saying it was a cyber attack. 
blaming Israel for it. The Iranians have not said that out loud, but one of their officials said, we are checking everything out, and we will have a response when we determine exactly what happened. Initially, they said it was just an accident, but the photographs looked like it was a bomb or something really exploded. You'll remember in the uh, earlier cyber attacks that Israel launched, uh, well, we think Israel did. They've never admitted it fully. Uh, Some years ago, there were explosions caused by them uh, getting into their system and speeding up the enrichment process so fast that the machines couldn't keep up and they would overheat and explode. So big tensions between Iran and Israel always has been. And of course, the corona crisis increasing in Israel doesn't help either. The government preoccupied really with that. So if you're an enemy of Israel, this might be a great time to strike. And a lot of reports that uh, in the next month or so, we will have a full assault on the country. A lot of prayer needed right now. And we're into the month of July, which is the month that uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu said he would move ahead with annexation of Judea and Samaria. Meanwhile, the Vatican out of Rome warning Israel annexation will put in jeopardy the peace process. I'm not sure how well the peace process is going. What do you think about the Vatican's comment? They really are not involved in making decisions in Israel, are they? No, but they've been involved in the Palestinian-Israeli talk on the sidelines. I remember when uh, Shimon Peres was foreign minister, he met with the Vatican official to brief him on the Oslo talks that were going on in the 90s and that. So they've always treated the Vatican as a state, a country, which of course it considers itself. And uh, the Vatican owns a lot of land in Israel, especially in Jerusalem. And there are, of course, tens of thousands of mostly Arab Catholics uh, in the country. So they're very interested in the other uh, European countries are. But the annexation, Jimmy, has been put on hold. It's clear uh, there was nothing announced. The government, again, in the first three days of July, they had more corona cases uh, identified than in all of the month of May combined. So it's uh, soaring there, over a 1,000 cases a day on Friday, which was the first time it's reached that level. And so the government is preoccupied with that and probably will put off any annexation deal or anything like that. Also, the Trump administration reportedly has said, we're preoccupied right now with what's going on in our country, and this wouldn't be the right time for such a dramatic, potentially explosive move to be taken, annexing parts of Judea and Samaria and possibly the Jordan Valley. Well, speaking along those lines of annexation, the prime minister and coronavirus, as you were just telling us, updating us on that situation, the prime minister threatened in one of the meetings on the coronavirus and annexation that he may go to new elections. What do you think the viability would be of the prime minister calling for a fourth election? Do you think that's a possibility? And could he be pushed to do that, which would indeed put really on the sideline annexation. It would, Jimmy, but again, it would also very much anger a lot of Israelis because they're being told again to lock down. They're being told that tourism won't be resuming. They were going to resume flights in August from 14 countries, and that that now looks like it'll be put on hold. So the economy, 20% unemployment, that's mostly in the tourism hotel industry, as you know, is a major factor of Israel's economy. So he's having to deal with that. That's the crisis right now. And to go to an election where people have to go out and vote and that sort of thing now, and again, the fourth 
in less than a year and a half would be, uh, I think, a political disaster for him. There'd be a lot of blowback against that. So I'm not so sure that's an option for him in reality at this time. Let's think about elections just for a moment, not the ones in Israel, but the ones in the United States. And John Bolton, who was the national security advisor to the president, who was either fired or resigned, we don't know which one, whoever you listen to, that's who you must believe, I would guess. But John Bolton did an interview in Israel, and he said the second term for Trump would be very, very dangerous for Israel. Can you give us more details? Well, we've seen those reports, but uh, what exactly he had in mind there, I'm not sure. Certainly, the Trump administration has been very pro-Israel in the move of the embassy and the statements from Mike Pompeo that we would basically allow you to annex uh, portions of Judea and Samaria, although they've gone back a bit on that. So uh, this is a pro-Israel administration. So I can't imagine that uh, anybody else would be any more pro-Israel, certainly any Democratic president who has all these radical congressmen and women that hate Israel, basically, uh, that will be involved in setting up policy there. I don't know exactly what he had in mind there. But uh, again, the internal politics in the states right now is not that much concerning to the Israelis. They've got a crisis, a real crisis, two crises. We talked about the possibility of war on top of the war against coronavirus. So I don't think they're paying much attention to that sort of talk. Well, and talk to me about annexation as it relates from the perspective of the Palestinian people. Fatah, listen to this. I can't believe this. Fatah and Hamas agreeing that they will come together, unify on annexation. Meanwhile, Iran talking with Hamas about how to shut down annexation as well. Iran playing a major role, and these two Palestinian organizations deciding to unify to go against annexation. Pretty interesting move. It is, but then again, we've had five or six times in the past few years attempts at reconciliation between the two groups. Of course, the problem started when Hamas uh, violently seized control of the Gaza Strip in 2007, and there's been animosity between the two groups, strong animosity ever since. But yes, the agreement says that Hamas can now openly operate in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank and Jerusalem, that the PA will not do anything to stop them carrying out attacks or whatever they're doing, whereas up until now they have more or less cooperated with Israel on that field. So that part of it is a very dangerous development indeed, but whether it would really last, we'll have to see. And it would only come together formally, I think, if there is indeed annexation. As I've just said, that may not be happening now. David, a couple of weeks back, we talked about God TV, God Television, coming out, originating, I do believe, out of Europe, and they were able to acquire a opportunity to be on channel television right there. The uh, networks were able to give them approval to go on, but just recently, I guess this last week, they made a decision, God TV will not be allowed to have a channel. Can you update us on that? Yes, they're on uh, one of the big cable companies called Hot. I used to uh, subscribe to them, 
and they've been on since late April. Well, they promised the um, communications ministry that they wouldn't evangelize Israelis, even though it would be in Hebrew. It would be mainly aimed at Christians in the country, Messianic believers and Arab Christians and visitors. Tourists, of course, not there right now, but normally, as you know, hundreds of thousands of Christians might be in the land at any time, that it would be aimed at that. But then again, it was in Hebrew. That was the problem, and the ministry said this week, no, you have been proselytizing through this channel, Israelis. We didn't permit that. We won't permit that. So they pulled the license. That's being appealed now by the God Channel officials, but uh, we'll see where it comes out. This is a very interesting update because of the fact uh, that the Bible does tell us to reach out to everybody, Jew and Gentile, with the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Appreciate your report. Always essential to have it. Thank you. We'll talk again next week. I'm glad to do it, Jimmy, and God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madat. Going to go into this annexation situation a bit more. You need to understand what it's all about, why there's a division, and what about uh, the Prime Minister speaking to a large Christian group this week? That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Broadcast Central, not in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but instead in temporary studios in Peoria, Illinois. We're here for an opportunity to teach the prophetic word of God at the El Vista Baptist Church in Peoria. We'll be here Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, July 5th, 6th, and 7th. If you're in the listening area, we would love to have you come and join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. This will be a great opportunity for you to do exactly that, and I'm so grateful for the time in which we're having this prophecy conference. Joey Watt, pastor of El Vista, selected, I do believe, a great time because of what's happening in our world. So come study the prophetic word of God with us, El Vista Baptist Church, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Well, we're going to now continue our conversations with our broadcast partners. For the last couple of times we've been on the air here on Prophecy Today, we have been talking about annexation of areas in Israel. 
in particular, Judea and Samaria, and the possibility of the Jordan Valley, I think that's pretty much passed by the wayside right now. But at least Judea and Samaria. The man we've been going to is Winky Madad, and actually we do that because of the fact that he's very knowledgeable, but he also lives in one of those Jewish communities referred to as a Jewish settlement, Shiloh. In fact, it has an unbelievable history. Uh, that is where the children of Israel came into the promised land, established their presence. Once Joshua was able to get them to this location, they set up the tabernacle, put the Ark of the Covenant there. So it's a great historic site, biblical site. And the former mayor of Shiloh, Winky Madad, our good friend and broadcast partner, is going to come and join us. Winky, this last week, the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, actually had an opportunity to address John Hagee's group of Christians who are standing united with the Jewish state of Israel. He made a very interesting statement in that presentation. He talked about annexation, and he mentioned Bethel and also Shiloh. Is that really what he's talking about, or does he have a plan, or where is he as it relates to annexation? He said after July 1st, he would move forward. What's the status right now? Well, Jimmy, the Israeli governments over the generations almost, or at least over the past 53 years, have been faced with the diplomatic challenge of maneuvering its biblical legacy, its security needs, as well as its diplomatic and political considerations as a member of the family of nations as regards Judea, Samaria, and other portions of the historic land of Israel. It is not easy. Israel does not have that many friends in the world, and anybody who's been following United Nations sessions or meetings knows that well. And unfortunately, the Arab countries have a very large block of themselves and their supporters. And so this question of extending Israeli sovereignty or applying Israeli law to the land that was promised by international law back in 1922, the League of Nations, the the forerunner of the United Nations, has been a particularly problematic situation for Israel. With the Trump plan this past January, we have an opening. Last November, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo denied that the United States has any sense of illegality regarding the communities in which I live and my friends live. However, that plan depends on several issues. I only want to mention one at this point in the conversation, Jimmy. The map. What, what is the new area going to look like? Uh, is, what is 30%? What is 70%? Uh, could it be changed? Do roads have to be dealt with? And these issues, because of the corona situation, uh, not too many people can get over here and get on the ground and get in a car uh, like you used to do and drive around and say, well, this has to change. And so obviously it seems one of the reasons why it's been delayed is that very simply we do not have a proper map to deal with the issue, nor... Do we have the agreement of the Palestinian Authority to engage 
and accept the parameters of the Trump plan of peace through to prosperity. Did I hear you say, I do believe I did hear you say, that the League of Nations said that this was legal according to international law, and we keep hearing that it's illegal because of international law. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did the League of Nations make it legal? It can be arcane for some people, but since everybody keeps bandying about this illegality, let me try in three sentences to uh, elucidate and educate our audience. In 1922, the League of Nations, which was the United Nations of its time, told the world that Great Britain would have a mandate to reconstitute the Jewish national home in Palestine. But in doing so, Article 25 said the territories east of the Jordan River are not to be included in this idea of a Jewish national home. Now, to anybody with any sense of logic and rationale, everything west of the Jordan then becomes the Jewish national home. Well, Jimmy, Shiloh, Bethel, Hebron, and 120 other Jewish communities existing here since 1967 are in that area. So we cannot be considered illegal by any situation. At the best, you can say we can be disputed territory, but that's another issue altogether. What about the fact that it seems many of the Jewish settlers are divided on whether annexation would be good or bad? What's the problem here? The problem is, Jimmy, that part of that plan of Mr. Trump is a recognition of a Palestinian state. Now, the plan says they must cease from terror, they must stop their pay for slay. Hamas has to be disbanded. It has to be demilitarized, and on and on. And so, on one level, most of us think that the Palestinian Authority will not accept that because they've never accepted that. And the only reason they're around is to make sure that Israel isn't around. And so, we're willing to take a chance on the pro on the plan and proceed with it. And if the Arabs don't come along, well, we at least in the first stage, get at least 30% under Israeli sovereignty, and we can continue from there. Other people are more, can I call it, ideological, and say, I will not agree to any plan that gives the people, the Arabs of, of the Palestine mandate, any sort of state in the area of the, biblical, the Jewish biblical homeland. And so it's like a, um, a standoff. But in the meantime, Mr. Netanyahu, as I said previously, has been caught with the map, has been caught with the corona. He has a coalition government in which some of the parties are not that happy. And that's party politics, as usual. And so I guess we need a little bit more time to straighten things out and move forward. But at the same time, the Arab League, which would represent the Palestinian people there in the area of Judea and Samaria... They are saying that the settlers will actually spark a religious war if they go ahead with annexation. Is that a possibility, a religious war in that region? Jimmy, you and I have been through this period of the past 30 years or so. We've seen a first intifada, a second intifada, ongoing terror. Uh, I have to say this, unfortunately, Arabs do not need any real reason to start a religious war. And so these threats 
are not dependent on Israel's moves. They're dependent upon how the Arabs perceive the state of Israel and its raison d'etre. And I could remind you and our listeners that they promised that religious war, uh, I think it was, for the moving of the embassy, yet nothing happened. We are very happy that pro-Israel, Zionist, Christian evangelicals are on our side. We hope that Mr. Trump realizes that he's not going to get anywhere far with the Arabs and allow Israel to do what it should do by the Bible, by our security needs, even by international law, and move on with ending this 53-year-old situation of uh, two states or any other plan does not take into consideration the vision of Israel, and Israel by, I mean, the Jewish people living in the land of Israel. Winky, I love what the ancient Jewish prophet Ezekiel said, 36th chapter of his prophetic book. And verse 22, he says, hey, you Jewish people pay attention. I do not this for your sake, but for my holy namesake. And the Lord did swear by his name that he would give to the Jewish people, Judea and Samaria. That is an absolute, is it not, Winky? It is, Jimmy. It's good for God. It's good for the Jewish people. And as you know, and we've spoken about it, it's good for all the world's people. It's a positive situation when we are living in our land, renewing our customs, religious principles, our language, everything else. We've been good for the world. We expect the world to be good for us. And that is an absolute also. Winky Madad, our good friend and broadcast partner here on Prophecy Today, helping us to understand the annexation situation since we're in July, and that's when the prime minister said he would move forward with it. Winky, thank you for your insight. Always a joy to be able to chat with you, my good friend. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll have another conversation. I'm absolutely convinced we will in the near future. Thank you, good buddy. Jimmy, thank you for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very factual information coming in the conversation with Winky Madad about annexation and from a Jewish perspective, what the Jewish people would like to see happen. But in fact, there are members of the body politic who maybe do not agree with the other member of the body politic. We'll stay on top of the story with Winky Madad. Well, a good friend of Winky Madad, a good friend of mine, Itamar Marcus. He is the team leader for an organization, palwatch.org. By the way, that's in addition to their title. It's the location on the Internet where you can pick them up, palwatch.org. I would suggest that you go there and sign up for the news alert that Itamar sends out to us. We're going to be talking with Itamar. He, this last week, gave a lecture to many members of the European Parliament, want to find out what that was all about and what was the result of that time of lecturing these parliamentarians. But first, Dinamar, uh, during this last week, there was a, a big rally of Palestinians there in Jericho, and they were protesting annexation. What I thought was very interesting, I can understand the Palestinians doing that, but Mahmoud Abbas, who is the president of the Palestinian Authority, 
was leading this demonstration, and joining him was a leader, a member of the activities going on in the United Nations. He is the coordinator uh, for the peace process in the Middle East for the United Nations, and he stood up and promised the Palestinian people to keep fighting. You're not renting this piece of property. It's yours, and you'll have a state. And in addition to him, there are other peoples from other countries around the world, like Japan and others. Talk to me about this rally. Does the United States really favor the Palestinians so much they're not even willing to be honest about what they say and what they do? Well, this rally, there were actually a couple of rallies that were very different, and I'll tell you about all of the different kinds, because they were each one problematic in its own way. So the, the first rally that they had was one which was without the foreign dignitaries, and at that rally, they literally threatened to come at Israel with terror, violence, murder. One of the people who spoke there, his name is Jabril Rajoub, a Palestinian leader, he's in charge of their whole fight against Israel's applying laws to Judea and Samaria. And he said, "Is we won't suffer alone, we won't die alone, which, of course, was a direct threat that they're going to be killing Israelis. He, he said a number of other statements which indicated that they would go to terror. For example, he said if Israel actually goes and annexes, and it's not really an annexation, but we'll talk about that later if you want. He said if Israel annexes, we're not going to sit by idly. We're going to be Fatah of, of 1965. That was when the PLO was established as a terror organization, and all they did was terror attacks. So he said we are going to become a terrorist organization once again if Israel does this. So that was the first one. The first rally was one promoting terror. The second one was the one that they invited all of these foreign dignitaries to, like you said, the UN dignitaries, European Union dignitaries, uh, many countries of Europe sent representatives there. It's quite disappointing because all of them literally ganged up on Israel. All of them said that they're, you know, what Israel is doing is against international law, which of course is a lie. And they were threatening Israel not with physical attacks, but with all sorts of possibilities, uh, including uh, different kind of economic threats and political threats uh, against Israel. So there are two different angles that the Palestinians are taking. One is the private internal one where they're talking about literally killing Israelis and starting a terror war against us. And the other is the international one where they are asking the Europeans primarily and and others to put pressure on Israel. Very interesting report, Itamar, as to really what's going on from members representing other nations, other countries, other organizations like the UN and the European Union. Well, speaking of the European Union, let's go back to what I mentioned we would discuss with you. I believe you set up through a live streaming type of an operation, and praise the Lord for technology today, but you were able to communicate to members of the European Parliament. You talked to them about the fact that funding coming from the European Union, and in particular the Parliament, is going towards terrorism. Talk to me about what you said in the lecture. What was the result? In my lecture to members of European Parliament, I wanted to tell them what was exactly happening with the money that they were giving to the Palestinian Authority. So first I described how their money is going to the Palestinian Authority. Palestinian Authority is giving money 
to the PLO, and the PLO is funding terror organizations. It's funding the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. It's funding Fatah, which has a branch called the Al-Aqsa Martyr Brigades. Both of these organizations are on the European Union's designated terror list, of uh, designated organizations uh, of, of terror. So why, I said to them, why are you, in violation of your own laws, giving money to the PA and not prohibiting them from passing it on to the PLO? Uh, now that's the first thing. Now, Europe, in the laws, says specifically that you're not allowed to fund terror, either directly or indirectly. And I said to them, this is absolutely direct or, or at, at certainly indirect funding of terror, uh, because no one denies that these organizations are getting money from the PLO. So that was the first thing, and the members of Parliament were very, very receptive. One more thing that I showed them, and that is that the European Union has laws that prohibit, for example, glorifying terror, encouraging terror, promoting terror. And what I said to them is, you're giving money to the Palestinian Authority, which is promoting terror, glorifying terror uh, by itself, um, giving financial rewards, paying salaries to terrorists. I said, if they were doing this in the European Union, you'd throw them in jail because it's against your laws. Why are you giving them money and then they're doing these things that in your country would be illegal uh, and criminal activities? Has the United States been involved in funding any terror, or how is that operation going? The United States for many years, certainly under the Obama administration, was giving money to the Palestinian Authority without really restricting how it was being used, or they, at certain points, they started restricting, but basically they were giving them hundreds of millions of dollars a year. In the Trump administration, the Congress passed what they called the Taylor Force Act, named after the American uh, veteran Taylor Force, who was uh, murdered in Tel Aviv. And the Taylor Force Act says that as long as the Palestinian Authority rewards terrorists in prison, rewards the families of murderers of, of Israelis and, and any visitors to Israel, as long as the PA does it, they can't get American money. Now, the person who murdered Taylor Force was killed a few minutes later by Israeli uh, police. And because of that, his family is receiving a lifetime allowance, a lifetime monthly payment as a reward for their son, doing a terror attack, um, and being killed during his terror attack. Now, that's, of course, outrageous. The United States was against it for many, many years, and they finally, under the Trump administration, they passed the Taylor Force Act. And since then, the Palestinian Authority has been receiving no funding from the United States. Well, that is good news as it relates to the relationship between the United States and Israel. Itamar, it is very key that uh, you be on the job because you monitor the Palestinian media. You know exactly what's going on and contacting these legislatures across the world and the different governments is key to make certain that taxpayer dollars do not go for the funding of terror and the killing of Jews in the state of Israel. So thank you for not only the work of your organization, palwatch.org, but for your individual work as well. Appreciate the time you could give us for this conversation, and I know we'll have to have another one down the road. Thank you so much, Itamar. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Itamar heads up a team of Jewish people who have immigrated to Israel but speak the languages of the people they're monitoring there. 
and it keeps us abreast. A very important service. It keeps us abreast of really what the Palestinian media is saying. Well, there's another key region of our world outside of the Middle East, and that's the European Union. John Rood is our broadcast partner who covers that for us. He's lived in that area for over 30 years. And, John, we've talked about the Vatican, Pope Francis, making actually political statements. It looks like he's done that again this week. want to see what your take on it is. The Vatican warning Israel that annexation, what they're thinking about doing in Judea and Samaria, would jeopardize peace in Israel. What is the thinking of the Vatican? Yes, the Pope and the Vatican have become more political and polarizing in some of these issues. Israeli annexation of uh, Judea, Samaria, Jordan Valley, they have come out after speaking with ambassadors of the United States and Israel, saying that this would jeopardize peace. When you take a look at the Jordan Valley that would be annexed, it would seem to be extremely important for border security as well. The Vatican has come out and reiterated that uh, Israel and they recognize the state of Palestine have the right to exist, but they are certainly concerned about a jeopardizing peace. And uh, this could have more ramifications than just the one location. Of course, we understand that the city of Rome, Italy, and the false church that will be located there, according to Revelation 17, is a major player in the end-time scenario that's laid out in God's Word. Anti-Semitism is on the rise, John, around the world, but in Europe especially, and it's being supported by Iran. That according to a Berlin intelligence agency. Can you give us some updates on that? The Berlin intelligence agency has come out with a report which even makes more official some of what we already would have known, that uh, Iran, it says, has, quote, massively promoted anti-Semitism and hatred of Israel. We know way back from Ayatollah Khomeini calling for a destruction of Israel. But Iran has taken its, a place and established itself as the state carrier of Islamic ideology, and so it's these Islamic movements which propagate the anti-Semitism as well, not only in thought, but terrorist organizations, Hamas, Hezbollah, Muslim Brotherhood. So the Berlin report has actually put that together in a more obvious, clear, official uh, presentation. Well, it's interesting that it was a Berlin intel agency that made this report, since Germany is very conscious of the fact they were the ones responsible for the Holocaust and killing some 6 million Jews back in World War II. So Germany is watching all of this anti-Semitic activity very closely, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Very good point. Talk to me, John, if you will, about Macron, who is the president of France. He's becoming quite a major player as it relates to the European Union, Angela Merkel possibly on her way out since she's already said she's not going to run again. And Macron is concerned about what Turkey's doing, a criminal role they're playing there in Libya. What can you give us as it relates to details on this situation? This is an interesting situation now between France and Turkey, both being NATO countries. They've created an internal clash 
Uh, Turkey is uh, accusing France. President Macron, we know, is working to jockey for position politically and militarily in Europe. And so Turkey, of course, has been a bit of a wild card these days inside the NATO organization. So they have had clashes on the international waters. But Turkey has also been heavily supporting militarily air support weapons, fighters, which are brought in through Syria, going into Libya. So Libya is now the new field that we're going to see more and more. A war has been going on there for several months right now. Uh, Different nations are kind of facing off. Some are backing the government faction and others. There's rebels that are controlling much of the oil. As well, Macron, as we've mentioned, he's got in contact with uh, Russian President Putin, who also has, there are many thousands, thousands of mercenaries from Russia on the scene in Libya. Putin is basically saying they're just acting independently. So this is a continuation. France is struggling to uh, gain the credibility and position. Uh, Turkey is being very forceful. Russia is coming into the scene. And even when we spoke of the Israeli annexation, you know, I believe we need to be looking at particularly at Russia because we could have a setup with this new circumstances, a new setup that could lead to an Ezekiel 38 war. Ezekiel 38 war. John brings that to our attention because where he covers the European Union, they're a major player and what's going to happen prophetically in the future. And that's why we bring John to these broadcast tables each and every week. John, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. My pleasure. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got one more broadcast partner. That's David James. We're going to be talking about Supreme Court rulings. You don't want to miss the conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, and I want to welcome you back to the third half hour of Prophecy Today. 90 minutes is what we ask for. You've given it to us. Thank you so very much. Let me ask you to go to my website, prophecytoday.com. If you will, go to the home page. On the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find my poll question. Here's the question. On the 244th birthday of America, we can recognize that God brought the United States into place because he brought all human government into place. However, America is not mentioned in Bible prophecy. Do you then believe God brought the United States in place to facilitate the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that is on the scene in our world today. Now that's the poll question. If you'll answer it, we'll be so happy. I want to remind you that we are in meetings here in Peoria, Illinois. A shout out to WPEO Radio who carries this broadcast and would be promoting the meeting. We'll be with Joy Watt and his fine people over at the El Vista Baptist Church all day Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. What a time to be teaching and learning Bible prophecy. Come join us, if you will, and thank you so very much for going to my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash 
prophecy today and watching my prophecy moment. Jim Jr., who is producing this program, produces that one as well. Makes me look pretty good, I do think. Go there and learn Bible prophecy. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. We're going to focus on the Supreme Court ruling which uh, struck down the Louisiana abortion law. We'll get into that in a moment. We have a Q&A time before we get to our main issue, and we're so glad to have David along. We have this conversation for the purpose of helping the body of Christ come to a better understanding on issues that we focus on as it relates to a biblical perspective and a prophetic perspective as well. David, last week, uh, we had, in fact, the last several weeks, we've started off our segment with a listener's question that is certainly relevant, especially in this election year, and let's do that this time as well. Sure, be glad to. Well, this listener's question was apparently because we're in an election year, and and I've edited his question for some clarity. He says this, There should never be a time in the true Christian's life, never a moment, when he says, Let me choose the lesser of two evils. It just shouldn't happen. But that being said, uh, if we have a choice between a bad person and a much worse person, what's a Christian supposed to do? And he says, don't get me wrong, I love this country and the principles it stands for, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Now, we certainly appreciate the email, Jimmy, and we would both agree with what he said at the end. We both love our country, and we both put our hope in our Lord, and not in any politician or any political party or any political system. And, you know, by God's grace, we live in a country in which we do have some influence in selecting our leaders, and as citizens of this country, we are the government. And when it comes to elections, you know, it's it's always a choice between the lesser of two evils, even when there are two candidates that we think are relatively good people, because the fact is we're all sinners, and no one is as good as they seem to be, and uh, many are far worse than they seem to be, and some we know how bad they are up front, and some we find out the hard way after the fact. But, uh, Jimmy, if we refuse to vote for anyone, then we're giving at least half a vote to the greater of two two evils just by doing nothing. So I would disagree with those who say that we just aren't going to vote. David, two weeks ago, we dealt with the 5-4 Supreme Court decision that has many concerns because of how it interpreted part of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to give protection to those who identify as other than their birth gender. And this week, they struck down a Louisiana law that provided reasonable restrictions to getting an abortion in that particular state. Give us some details. Sure. Well, you know, Jimmy, many have been very happy that President Trump has already been able to appoint two justices to the Supreme Court, Brian Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, uh, which is amazing for a first-term president. And uh, Donald Trump has appointed and the Senate has confirmed 197 federal judges through June of this year, just his fourth year in office. You know, the average number of federal judges appointed by a president through June 1st of their fourth year is about 176. 
six. So going back to the Supreme Court, there has been some serious health concerns with Ruth Bader Ginsburg over the last couple of days. I even saw headlines concerning Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito thinking about retiring before long. But these two recent SCOTUS rulings have been serious blows to the president's agenda because it's a blow to his conservative base. And both of these rulings have potential broad implications. The majority opinion from a couple of weeks ago resulted from Justice Gorsuch applying a literalistic view of the word sex such that its meaning could evolve to today to include sexual identity in today's world, something it was never intended to mean. And now in this ruling that we're talking about today, with a five to four justice split, the Supreme Court deemed unconstitutional a Louisiana law that would have drastically restricted abortion access by requiring abortion doctors having access to a nearby hospital. David, I would like to dig deeper into this week's ruling because this seems to represent a substantial victory for the abortion rights activists. Right. Well, the president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, a lady named Nancy Northrup, is quoted as saying, we are just delighted. It's a great victory in Louisiana. So this Supreme Court ruling involved a 2014 Louisiana law that would have required all abortion providers to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals. And to me, Jimmy, this just seemed like common sense. But abortion activists claim that abortion is an extremely safe procedure and rarely requires hospitalization. And so because of this, doctors who provide abortions don't tend to seek such admitting privileges, with detractors saying that granting privileges is a bureaucratic process and uh, physicians can be denied for any number of reasons, including if they don't regularly admit patients to the hospital. And apparently in Louisiana, they can be denied precisely because they perform abortions. So then, David, uh, can we go deeper into the thinking that went into the majority and the dissenting opinions given by the Supreme Court justices? What the logic was behind these decisions? Well, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote the majority decision, as he had for the Texas case, and he concluded that the laws were nearly identical and that the evidence against the Louisiana law was even stronger and more detailed. And then he argued that there would only be one abortion provider for the 10,000 women wanting an abortion in Louisiana each year, and because of the long distances involved, it would disproportionately affect poor women. And according to Kathleen Pittman, who is the administrator of Shreveport's Hope Medical Group for Women, said that most of the clinic's patients already have one or more children at home and 75% are poor or low income. However, the dissenting judges and Alito held that the Louisiana law would protect women and also argued that the doctors who brought the suit had a conflict of interest because it would benefit them, but not the women that it was supposed to protect. And this would mean that the doctors shouldn't even have legal standing to bring the case to the Supreme Court. And then Thomas wrote, today a majority of the court perpetuates its ill-founded abortion jurisprudence by enjoining a perfect 
perfectly legitimate state law and doing so without jurisdiction. And this was the view of all the dissenting justices, Jimmy. And then, once again, uh, Justice Roberts was the swing vote, and basically his argument was that since the Texas law had already been struck down, there was legal precedent requiring that the Louisiana law be struck down because they were essentially the same. David, I want to mention another Supreme Court ruling that came down this week as well, since we want to be fair and balanced in the situation. And this ruling would actually support school choice, which I think is key. It's been that way for a number of years. It's that way for almost everybody across the United States. Talk to us about that. Well, you're right. U.S. News & World Report carried an article this week that began with, and I'll quote, the Supreme Court ruled Texas that Montana's state constitution discriminated against religious schools when it barred families from using a tax credit scholarship to enroll children in those schools, a major victory for the Trump administration's school choice agenda and one that could have seismic implications for dozens of other states with similar prohibitions in their constitutions. And, Jimmy, this was also a split decision with Chief Justice Roberts writing the following in the majority, drawing on enduring American tradition, we have long recognized the rights of parents to direct the religious upbringing of their children. And then he went on to say, many parents exercise their right by sending their children to religious schools, a choice protected by the Constitution, but the no-aid provision penalizes that decision by cutting families off from otherwise available benefits if they choose a religious private school rather than a secular one and for no other reason. So, Jimmy, the bottom line is that the lead plaintiff gained a win because the Supreme Court concluded that barring aid to religious schools on the basis of the no-aid language in Montana's state constitution discriminated against religious schools and the families whose children attend or hope to attend those schools. And uh, the lead plaintiff and two other mothers challenged the state's ruling under the U.S. Constitution guarantees of free exercise of religion and equal protection. And, you know, the court's ruling was immediately criticized by teachers' unions who see the creep of school choice into the system, and especially that of uh, private school choice being a direct threat to public school funding. I hope we have not gone too deep into some of these things, but I think it's essential that David bring this information to our attention so we can understand how this is all working out and why maybe these Supreme Court justices are making the decisions they are. I think as we wrap it up for today, we ought to circle back around to our listeners' election question. And David, really... Don't issues like this mean that it's more than just about the man or the woman who we may be voting for for president? For example, it's also about his Supreme Court appointees, and that will have a lasting impact long after that individual as president has left office. Well, that's really interesting, and it brings up a couple of uh, interesting issues for conservative Bible believers. The first is the matter of originalist constitutional jurisprudence, which simply means that Supreme Court justices who are guided by the philosophy that the Constitution is a fixed historical guide for legislation and judicial decisions. And, you know, that's different than seeing it as a living document whose meaning changes with the times and so must be continually re 
reinterpreted by every generation as a society or culture or ethics and morality morph and change. We say we don't want legislating from the bench, but that can be a two-edged sword because we tend to think decisions are faithful to the Constitution when we as conservatives agree, uh, but that they're legislating from the bench when we disagree. And also when we talk about conservative president appointing federal or Supreme Court justices to the bench, what we're really hoping for is that their thumbs will be on the conservative side of the scale of justice, which really shouldn't be happening. And, and in other words, we're hoping for a conservative biblical standpoint. But let's consider this, and this is kind of astounding as we wrap up. Uh, in the last 50 years, since Richard Nixon in 1968, there have been six Republican presidents serving 28 years and have appointed 15 Supreme Court justices and nearly 1,400 federal judges. The Democrats have had half that many presidents in 20 years and appointed only four judges. And yet, Jimmy, we are where we are, which tells me that the creep of society at every level is away from biblical principles, no matter who we put into office. And uh, this isn't going to end, and it's not going to be solved by politicians. Well, that's some very thought-provoking statements that you just made, David. And I think we as Christians must consider your comments in this last answer to my last question. Thank you so very much for doing the research and appreciate the opportunity to focus on this Supreme Court activity, the decisions they're making. David, appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. Thank you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On this special edition of Prophecy Today, Happy Birthday America, we had our broadcast partners from around the world give us details behind the current events we see unfolding today. These are key reports for each and every one of us to be able to understand how Bible prophecy is coming closer to being played out. Let me remind you that America is not included in the prophetic scenario that is found in the Bible. However, these reports give us evidence as to how the United States is helping facilitate the stage setting for all of prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, if you missed any of our reports from our broadcast partners, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the right-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll see PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Go to that location on the website, and you'll find archived all of these reports from the broadcast partners today. If you missed any It'll be a great opportunity for you to listen to them. And once you have and understand what they had to bring to the table, please tell a friend they need to hear what these men had to say as well. It's key information helping us to understand looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Now, if you will, let me give you my prophetic perspective on each of these reports. Ken Timmerman, still located in southern France, talked to us about Iran and Turkey who are uniting to make war on Israel. Well, that fits the prophetic scenario that's found in the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 2 and 6. Verse 2 talks about Turkey, Meshach, Tubal, and then verse 6, Gomer and Tagarma. That would be the nation of Turkey. Verse 5 of Ezekiel 38 mentions Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Now, as we reported, these two nations are ready to fulfill the prophecy of endeavoring to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update, and in that report, he said that Israel is on the brink of war with Iran and Hezbollah. Remember, the Bible does reveal that this will be the case. I go back to Ezekiel 38 just for a moment, and that would include Iran, verse 5. And then we go to Psalm 83, and when it mentions Tyre there in verse 7, it's talking about modern-day Lebanon, where Hezbollah is located right at the Israeli northern border. As we reported this information, you could see that the political activities in the Middle East was setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. Winky Madad, a good friend of us here on Prophecy Today, an Orthodox Jew who lives on the Jewish community of Shiloh, a Jewish settlement there in Judea and Samaria, talked with me about Prime Minister Netanyahu addressing a large Christian community on the reasons for annexation. You know, the Prime Minister of Israel recognizes that Bible-believing Christians are the best friends of Israel. Most of them would believe in the prophetic 
passages of God's word. Nobody can deny, however, what Ezekiel 36 says when the Lord is using the prophet Ezekiel to talk about the land that he has promised to give the Jewish people. And he did that because of his holy namesake, Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Itamar talked about the Palestinian rally that took place in Jericho, and they were rallying against the annexation of Judea and Samaria. You must remember that Palestinians play a key role in the last days. That would be Malachi chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 35, and the little book of Obadiah. John Rood is the man who gives us his European Union update We talked about the fact that the Vatican is warning Israel, in other words, Pope Francis, saying that annexation will jeopardize peace. Well, Rome is going to be the next most important city as it relates to Bible prophecy. There will be a false religion that will be headquartered there, Revelation chapter 17. But this is the passage also in Revelation 17, 17, where the Lord says, I will put into the hearts and minds of those political leaders to make decisions that will affect how my will will be played out. Very important passage that you would want to study. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17. David James and we have a weekly conversation. We focused this week on the recent Supreme Court decisions, these rulings, that really are against the principles of the Bible and an attack on God himself. May I remind you what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4 to says, We are exhorted by the Apostle Paul to pray for those who are in higher authority. Remember chapter 13 of the book of Romans, verse 1 says, Anybody who is in that position of higher authority is placed there by God himself. And then he tells us we are to lift them in prayer. As we do that, he promises we'll be able to live a quiet, peaceable, godly life, and in fact, we'll be able to use that time in order to bring people that don't know Christ as Lord and Savior to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is key because the only reason he has not come back, Jesus says through the apostle Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he said, I'm not slack concerning my promise, but I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to know me as Lord and Savior. You know, in all of these reports, you can see America as a facilitator for setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. America, at 244 years old on their birthday, is tangible evidence that God did set this nation in place for his purpose and prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. And remember, the next event on God's calendar of activities is the rapture of the church. That rapture could actually happen at any moment. And having said that, Nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.